Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're just going to keep going in our study in 2 Timothy. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. We don't want to approach our time together in God's word uh, in a cavalier way, right? We want to we hear from the Lord. And so we need God's help. We need him to open up our understanding. And so let's, uh, let's humble ourselves and let's ask him. Father, we do need you this morning. Uh, Lord, we need to consider what your word says. And we need you to give us understanding in all things. Lord, I pray that we'd be a sober people. We'd be a, a people that eagerly hear and believe, receive and live your word. Um, every person that's born again, Lord, we know has a call of ministry service on their life. Uh, and that can look, you know, hundreds of thousands of different ways, but in all of them, you've called us to be ministers of the gospel, to lay down our lives, furthering your kingdom. Lord, help us to recognize we're here, once we get saved, this world is not our home. We're here on a rescue mission. Everything changes. And we have, to, we have to make sure that our lives, what we're doing with our lives is falling out to the furtherance of the Great Commission. And so Lord, open our understanding. Speak to us, have your way with us. Not because we deserve it, but because Christ purchased us by his blood. Uh, we're your children. <laughs> you are our God. And except you open our eyes, except you pour out your spirit on us in understanding uh, to convince us, to convict us, Lord, we'll just keep doing what seems right in our own eyes. Deliver us from that evil, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here in chapter two, we saw Paul start out again with the need, the need that we have to be strong and the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we, we covered why that is. The ministry task that God has before us, it's so great. I mean, you can't get anybody saved. You can't make anybody mature. Everything that God calls you to do is beyond you, but God can use you to make a difference in the lives of people. And so we need to be strong in his grace. How do we do that? Well, we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace, God's grace, through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You believe on the word, right? You entrust your life to it, and now, man, you enjoy the grace of God for salvation. The same thing's true in terms of how we live our Christian lives. Uh, we need to be strong in the grace. We need to be full of faith that what God's word says about us must be true of us. Paul then shows us the different hats that the Christian laborer must wear in order to do the work of the ministry. And the first thing we saw is verse two. This is the mission. Uh, we have a responsibility as teachers. We have a mission as stewards. And to do that well, that's gonna take our lives Right? If we're gonna be faithful in teaching others also, then we, we, need, to know, we need to recognize that there's gonna be pushback, it's gonna be difficult, it'll, it'll take our lives. And so, to illustrate, Paul gives three pictures. Um, the soldier, what does he do? He works hard. He lays down his life on the field of battle. He has a cause that gives him a reason for his all-consuming work. The soldier lays his life down. The athlete works hard. I mean, he gives his life to the training, to the practice, right? There's so many training hours. There's so many bruises, injuries. 
that he has to work through. And he does all of that in order to compete well. He has a cause that gives him a reason to work hard, to train and compete with all his might. And then we saw the example of the husbandman, the farmer. And if he wants to see fruit in his life, he has to work, he has to labor. So in all of these examples, you see the parallel. Hard work pays off. Giving your life to the work produces results. It produces reward. And so once Paul has let us know, right, once he's, once he's informed us, once he's filled us in, that fruit, reward, results come at the price of hard work, then Paul tells us a little of his own labor in the work of the ministry. Look at verse seven. Paul says, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead in him, or dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. So the first thing in this next section, it's gonna take us a, a couple or three weeks to get through this piece of scripture, but the first thing he tells the growing leader to do is to consider. Look at verse seven. He says, consider what I say. Think about what I'm saying to you, Timothy. Ponder the word of the Lord. If you've got ears to hear, then hear, right? He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. 1 Timothy 4.15 tells us to meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly, wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. In John 8.31, Jesus puts it this way. He said to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue, right, meditate, Consider, ponder, continue in my word. Don't just think about it, but live it out. Do what I told you, then you're my disciples indeed. Okay, so here it is, Timothy. Here's the conclusion to the call. Paul's saying consider what he's telling this growing leader. If the steward, the athlete, and the farmer have to give their all, they've gotta, they've gotta apply their trade in the face of hardship, they gotta work hard, they pay a heavy price in order to get a reward. How do you think it's gonna go for you as a servant of Jesus Christ? In other words, he's saying consider if the work, right, if it takes work in order to enjoy reward, think, consider what the word says. What's that gonna mean for your life as a servant of Jesus Christ? Matthew 13, 51, Jesus said, have you understood all these things? They say unto him, yea, Lord. Do you, do you understand what I'm telling you? That's the same thing that Paul is saying here. Do you understand what I'm telling you? All, in all of these examples, they're laying their life down in labor. What's that gonna mean for your life? Do you understand these things? Brothers and sisters, do you understand? No? Do, I need to, do we just need to camp out in this verse? Go back and rehash verses one through, through uh, six again? Do you understand it's gonna take hard work to have reward? It's gonna take our lives to have reward. We're gonna to have to lay our lives down in Christ's service. I mean, if you understand that, tell your neighbor, bro, sis, you better get to work. 
Don't be a bum in the Lord's service. Consider what the word says here. Meditate on that. Think about that. You know, you can read. Have you ever done this? You're reading a book. You're reading the Bible. You're reading something. Uh, Maybe you're reading a news article. Whatever it is. And you've been reading for three or four minutes. And you realize you don't even, like, you know that you are reading it. Your eyes were engaged with every word. But you weren't thinking about what you're reading at all. It's amazing how the human brain can work. Right, I catch myself doing that all the time. Like, what in the world? I'm not, I'm not actually with my reading. My head's off in the clouds. You can read a novel without thinking. You can read a comic book, a newspaper, your textbook at school. You can read that without thinking. But when you read the book that God gave you, the book that God wrote, you better ponder. You better consider. You must think or you're not gonna get anything out of it. Notice what Paul adds here. He says, consider what I say, here it is, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. We need that. We desperately need the Lord to inform us as to the intent, the message, right? The, the content of his word and how it applies to our life. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. How many don't raise your hand, I don't want to out anybody, but how many would say, man, pastor, you know, I just don't feel like I'm that smart. Uh, do you feel that, feel that way sometimes? Like, I may be like the, one of the dumbest people in God. <laughs> I'm not saying raise your hands, <laughs> okay? Lord knows I've felt it. Okay, I gotta tell you something. If you will read this book, if you will study it as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you will actually read it and you will study it, you will ponder it, you'll meditate on it. The Holy Spirit's gonna give you wisdom and insight. Okay, you may not be that bright, but this book will increase your IQ. It will make you smarter. You will have more wisdom, discernment, and understanding if you'll do it. Psalms 119 verse 130 says, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. Oh Lord, I need that. (laughs) Give me understanding. What an incredible thing that is whenever you read the word of God. Think about the wonder of that. When you're reading God's word, you're actually thinking God's thoughts after him. To be able to think the thoughts of God himself, what a wonder that is. What a treasure that is. That ought to drive us to the pages of our Bible. Because I want to know what God thinks. I I I want to know what Jesus said, to think his thoughts after him. There is no higher calling in life. It's fantastic. If you're simple enough to come to the word of God saying, Lord, teach me, speak to me, he'll give you understanding. You don't have to be Professor Peabody to understand God's word and will for your life. Does anybody remember Professor Peabody? They did a full-length feature movie. Oh, it was, yeah, I looked it up. It was 2014. I can't even use that anymore. (laughs) Professor Peabody was a genius beagle or something. And I had a boy, Sherman, and he's, anyway, you Google it. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a, a genius to understand God's word and will for your life. Let's put it that way. Professor Peabody will work in the next service. It's an older crowd. All you need, all you need to be is born again and indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. And then you're in business. Why? Well, you got a built-in teacher. That's what God does. He's all about cluing his people in. 
You see the example of Christ himself in Luke chapter 24, verse 45, it says, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Before they're like, I don't know what this means. Well, Jesus had to tell them. He had to open their understanding so that they could understand it for themselves. He said he would send the Holy Ghost, John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. The Holy Ghost is your teacher. Some of you never show up to class. I mean, he's right there. He wants to inform you. He wants to open your understanding. He wants to inform you as to what the Word of God says, but you won't take time to show up and actually listen to him, to study, to think about what he's showing you in his Word. But that's what he's there for, Second, or 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 12 says, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Everything that God wants for you to know, you can know it. And you can't live on the excuse, well, I'm too stupid to understand it all. No, he gives understanding to the simple. God's in the business of, I mean, he is in the business of increasing your spiritual IQ. He wants to make you a spiritual, a spiritually understanding genius. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to have his mind. He wants to conform you to his image. You can learn it for yourself. Well, how's it work? Verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. So we need preaching, we need teaching, but that which the Holy Ghost teacheth. How, how do we study the word of God? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You need a, you need a Bible and a concordance and you need to learn to cross-reference your Bible. Anytime you come to a word that you don't understand, you need a Bible dictionary to look that word up. Most of the time, you come to a word you don't understand, it's actually explained to you right there in the text. You can figure out the meaning just by the context. But if you will give yourself to that labor of studying the word of God, you will grow in discernment, understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. You may not be the brightest bulb on the tree, but that's no problem because you have a living God inside of you. And he will make you to understand. You can have knowledge, understanding, and wisdom where God's word and will are concerned. And then you'll be better, right? You'll be better able to understand how you fit into what God is doing in and through you in the world around you. This is why David could say in Psalm 119, verse 99, he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Well, Pretty impressed with yourself, Dave. Well, why? For thy testimonies are my meditation. I think like God, that's why. Look at what David's saying there. Thy testimonies are my met. What you said, that's what I think. Man, that's a load off. What an incredible load that is. Off the, 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 the heart, the mind, the life of the believer. I don't have to be right all the time. He's right all the time. So any question, any problem, issue, any issue, you know what I think? What he said. That's what I think. That's, man, that's safety. Your testimonies are my meditation. So you just make sure that you're considering what God has said and let the Lord give you understanding in all things. Why? Well, so that we'll labor. That's the whole point of what we've seen in verses two through six. Again, if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, John 8, 31, if you continue in his word, then you're his disciples indeed. Are you actually a living disciple, an obedient disciple of Christ? Do you hear, do you understand what the Spirit is saying to you here? 
You're not your own. You're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That servant or that, that soldier doesn't get to do what he wants. He has to lay his life down. The athlete, if he's going to compete, he doesn't get to do what he wants. He has to train. The farmer, if he wants to eat, he doesn't get to do what he wants. Child of God, you don't get to do what you want. You are a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, I thought it was all about being set free. Yeah, set free from the sin that enslaved you and kept you from, I mean, in your sin, you were never able to serve or please God. You've been set free now to be with him, to be in the family business. Next, verse eight, Paul tells Timothy to remember. Well, these are, there's three key words in this section. Consider, remember, and endure. That's what we're keying off of in our study in this portion of 2 Timothy. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So the first thing that we have to remember is that Jesus is of the seed of David. You know, it's a real shock to some people today to hear that Jesus Christ was actually a Jew. Like they, they think he's some, you know, they saw, a, they saw a painting of Jesus, some European painter made, and there he is with his blonde hair and his blue eyes, you know, very European looking, you know, no. Um, in, in, a lot of, in a lot of black churches, they'll make Jesus out to be a black man. Jesus was a Jew. He was a son of David. And it shocks people. In Romans chapter one, verses one through three in the introduction, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an, ago, uh, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, he was a descendant of King David himself. And he says as much in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root, and here it is, specifically says it, the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. 16 times in your New Testament, Jesus is called the son of David. Well, that links him with Israel, right? The son of David, that's his national name. Uh, you know, so Israel and national are your next two blanks. Your New Testament, here it is, Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, starts this way. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In the very first verse in your Christian New Testament, three Jews are listed in Jesus' genealogy. Since we're looking at a title for the Lord Jesus Christ, just here's some data for you. The Lord's called the Son of God 49 times in your New Testament. That links him with deity. 89 times he's called the Son of, my, son of Man, and that links him with all of humanity. All of humanity. So remember that Jesus is of royal lineage, right? Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was risen, right? Was raised from the dead according to my gospel. That is the glorious focus of the Christian life. We serve a risen Savior. Jesus, our God, is alive. He came back from the dead. He is raised from the dead. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is alive and at the right hand of the Father. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. How do I know? 
He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow. Okay, he lives. Jesus said he would do it too. In John chapter two, verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and the text makes it clear. He's talking about the temple, the dwelling of his flesh. Destroy my body, and in three days I will raise it up. In chapter 10, verse 17, he says, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might, that I might take it up, right? That I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, here it is, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. It's because, he was able to do this because in him is resurrection power. And that's why Acts chapter 17, because of his resurrection power, that's why we should repent of our sins and give our lives to the Savior. Look at how Paul puts it in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Man, that made a weird noise. Did you guys hear that? Sorry. I'll try to be more subtle. Drink like a ninja. Okay. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Man, before people were just in clueless rebellion against the Lord. God met them where they're at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that, right, you're gonna be judged by Jesus and the proof is in that he hath raised him from the dead. Resurrection power, the fact of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that ought to make you tremble over the sin that condemns you to death before God. Romans 4, 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Man, you cannot actually believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation unless you believe in his resurrection from the dead. You can't do it. Any preacher that says Jesus Christ was a great man that lived long ago, but denies the fact of the resurrection, I'm telling you that man is lost in his sin and he is yet still on his way to hell. I don't care if he wears a collar, a robe, I don't care how spiritual he sounds or looks, if he does not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, he is lost in his sin. You can't be saved unless you believe that Christ is risen. Romans chapter 10 verse nine tells you the requirement that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you think Jesus died for your sin but never rose to eternal life, then you're praying to a corpse and the only thing that a, por- the only thing that a corpse can do for you is stink. I mean, that's all they can do. They can't hear you, a corpse can't answer you, can't help you. You must believe in your heart that Christ is risen from the dead. You can deny it all you want, and good luck with that. I don't believe Jesus rose bodily. I don't believe that he actually resurrected to eternal life. Good luck with that. Good luck with, I mean, try telling Jesus that when you meet him. You're gonna meet him one day. Revelation 1, 18, listen to what he said. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of death and hell. You better pay attention to that guy. He died for your sin. 
Now he has the keys of death and hell and you're gonna, you're gonna ignore him? You're gonna mock him? You're gonna scoff and say his bones are bleaching somewhere? You better rethink that. Now notice how this verse closes. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead and he says according to, look at the word, my gospel. Paul's gospel. Now God gave Paul the gospel to the Gentiles. So in that respect, right, the gospel of grace by faith, well that's Paul's gospel. He says as much in Galatians chapter one, verse 11, he says I certify you brethren that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of any man, of, uh, or neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. God clued me in into the gospel that I'm preaching. He clearly states the terms in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse one says, moreover brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also you received and wherein you stand, by which, it's by the gospel I'm preaching, Paul says, also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. And here it is. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. How that, here it is, here are the terms of the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now there's a lot more information about the gospel in your Bible. Even in the Pauline epistles. But there, there is the rough, simple outline of what the gospel is. You, you had a sin problem. Christ died for it. He died for your sin. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. This is why Paul tells the church, call on a risen Savior in repentance of sin. But the gospel not only includes these facts, but there's a lot of revelation that comes with the gospel. And there's this curious verse in Romans chapter two and verse 16. He talks about the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. We already saw that, right? The day is coming where all men will be judged by Jesus Christ and the proof is that he's risen. God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ and then look what he says, according to my gospel. According to my gospel. So there are insights uh, for the gospel that, that reveal secrets. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. That's a big verse right there. I, I, I've, I've pondered that. I've speculated about that. I don't even feel qualified to, to even try to address it. Um, I, th- I think for me, it's one of those verses that's gonna be hindsight 2020 when I see how Paul's gospel reveals the secrets in my life at the judgment seat of Christ. But don't miss what Paul's saying here. For Paul, the gospel was personal. It's my gospel. What about you? Is the gospel personal? Is it your gospel? I mean, Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. Do you believe the gospel? He lives, he lives, I know he lives. That's the gospel that I preach, my wonderful gospel. It's the gospel that I live. You know, most Christians today live like Jesus Christ is still in the tomb. They make decisions in life that are for the moment, for themselves. They make, they, 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 they make decisions, they live their lives in such a way that there's no thought that one day they're gonna stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for what they did, for what they said, for how they lived out their lives. You're gonna give an account for how you spend your money, how you spend your time. 
You're going to have to explain how it fell out to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have to do that along with working your job and raising your family. And yet, and yet it's possible. History, I mean, church history is full of story after story, incredible story after story of businessmen and women, homemakers, right? Neighbors that were used dramatically for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most Christians, though, live like Jesus is in the tomb. They react to circumstances in the power of the flesh. Something happens, something pops up, so they just do what the, you know, they think is right in their own eyes. What's the easiest path for them? They don't respond in the power of the Spirit. They live like they don't believe that he lives where they would live their lives accordingly. Paul says, this is my gospel. And the gospel was his life. So much so that verse nine, here it is, man. Verse nine records the price of his conviction because he's preaching the gospel, right? Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. So get this down in your notes. Paul is showing the growing leader. All right, growing leader, if you're gonna be all about the ministry of the gospel, it's gonna come with suffering. Paul's saying, they treat me like a common criminal here, like I'm guilty of rape or robbery or riot, and all I've ever done is preach the gospel. Well, that's what they did to my Lord also. And Tim, you just need to know that if you follow in my footsteps, right, if you follow um, after me in, in, in Christian service to the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll suffer also. But what we're gonna see when we get to verses 11 and 12, it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. If we suffer with him, we'll reign with him in the millennial reign of Christ. Remember how Paul started this letter in 2 Timothy chapter one? He says, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. Join in the fellowship of his suffering according to the power of God. Verse nine says, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. As a Christian, you're gonna suffer if you're serving Jesus. Just make sure, this is review, we looked at this when we looked at chapter one, just make sure that you're suffering for righteousness sake. You don't wanna be suffering justly because you're a jerk, you're an idiot, right? You, you're ignorant. You, you wanna suffer because you've actually been obedient to Christ. First Peter 3.17 says, it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Right, if you're gonna go to jail, let it be because the man told you to stop preaching Jesus and you refused, you said, I must obey God rather than men. Paul here is suffering over his obedience to Christ. Too many times, you know, God's people are bound figuratively or even literally because of their own sin and selfishness, not Paul. He's obedient to Christ and it costs him. He's in, I mean, he is in, I mean, he's doing hard time when he writes this letter to Timothy. Why? Well, the lost world sees an obedient servant of Christ as a threat. Uh, it's an evident token to them of their perdition, of their coming destruction. You see an example of this with the apostles in the days of the early church in Acts chapter five, verse 28, the religious rulers are trying to shut down their gospel ministry. Did we not, did not we straightly command you that you should not preach, that you should not teach in this name? 
And behold, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Man, they were getting the job done. And the lost world didn't like it and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, his blood was upon them. They literally said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. I mean, like, what in the world? That's how, you know, the wicked always accuse you of what they're guilty of. Just keep that down, you know, just keep that filed away in the back of your mind. Paul says, I'm suffering for the gospel's sake. I'm bound, I'm in chains. But then he says triumphantly, I may be in chains, but the word of God is not bound. I mean, here it is, man. They put me in jail, that can't stop this book. Nothing can stop this book. This book is the very word of God. It is alive, it is powerful. It is effective. Isaiah 55, 11 says, show, I mean, this is what God promises about his word. Verse 11 says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. I give my word. It's not gonna be empty and pointless and accomplish nothing. No, it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God says the purpose, the reason I gave my word, it will be accomplished. God's word, the gospel, the word of God, it's powerful. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble. Does anybody remember the Bible stands? Did you sing that in Bible club growing up? Anybody? No, I was the only one. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it will firmly stand, though the earth shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation. Is this ringing a bell? For the Bible stands. It's a great song. I don't know why we don't sing it today. It's really good. (laughs) The Bible stands. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will in no wise pass away. That is the key to freedom. Even in suffering for the, I mean, even if you're suffering for the gospel's sake, man, the Bible stands. The word is accomplishing its work. I'm good. So there's the warning. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna be about the gospel, the world will push back. And that's okay, teacher. That's okay, soldier. That's okay, runner. That's okay, farmer. The work is accomplished how? Well, the word of God will still work to accomplish its work. You just need to be faithful to keep presenting it. Because the word will not be bound. I mean, how do you bind a sword? You're gonna tie up a sword and keep it from doing its work. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive, it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is alive today. It's moving in this room. Is it working in your heart? Is it working in your life? It's not bound. It will accomplish. You know what? There'll be people that will go into eternity without God. They'll go into eternity and suffer a literal hell. And when it's you know, all said and done, when they look back, they have that perspective of looking back on their life, they're gonna remember, they're gonna recognize. It'll be very clear that it came as no surprise because the word of God was at work to convince them of their sin and their need of a savior. They just refused it. They just wouldn't listen, but the work did what it was supposed to. 
It convinced you of your sin. It convinced you of the fact that that sin is offensive to a holy and righteous God. It convinced you. The word of God showed you that God still loved you and gave his life. He gave the Lord Jesus Christ to bear your sin to the cross of Calvary. He gave everything in order to have you be a, I mean, to be a part, to be in his life. You know, you'll get to eternity and you won't be surprised where you're at. As ministers, listen, the word of God is not bound by your problems. It's not bound by your circumstances or your feelings or your fears. It is not bound. No matter what you think, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're facing, the word of God, well, that's true. It's sure, and it's working. It's not bound. And so that's the last question this morning. Are you, right, are you in a place where the word of God is having its way with your heart and mind? Is it coming out of you, right? Are you... Are you wielding the sword of the Spirit? Is it coming out of your life, your ministry? I say this, probably I don't say it enough, but I just wanna encourage you. If you're gonna serve Christ, if you're gonna be a minister of the gospel, and if you're saved, you're called to that. You're an ambassador for Christ. You have to avoid the trap of thinking you have to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, pride just disgusts God, it turns him off, okay? You gotta avoid that trap. You don't want people to be impressed with who you are, how you are, all the details you can recall, and the, and the, and the way that you can communicate with rapidity, facility, <laughs> eloquence, okay, you don't want that. Uh, it pleases God to use weak and foolish people to turn the world upside down. You, what, what you want to be is full of faith that this book changes people's lives. And that if you can just get a lost man, a lost woman's eyes on this book and start considering it with you from Genesis to Jesus, right? From creation to Christ, you can just get them in that book. It will speak to them and it will dismantle their objections it will get past their defenses and it will separate them from themselves. They will be gloriously saved because that book does the work. What you ought to be concerned about, what you ought to tremble to do is to be faithful to communicate it. Present it, teach that, speak it, preach it. Why, because it alone does the work. If I can convince with my brilliance, I can convince people to believe on Christ. You know, people ought to see the reality of Christ in your life. They ought to be able to look at our lives and say, of a truth, God is in these people. Why are they the way that they are? Well, we preach the gospel. Okay, now I understand. I need this in my life. Don't fall into the trap that, that you have to be the reason that people come to Christ. If you talk people into following Jesus, they're just gonna talk themselves right back out of it. They'll go right back to the world, but man, if, they, if the word of God speaks to them, like the Apostle Paul, he's on his way to kick tail and take names for Jehovah. <laughs> he doesn't know he's his enemy. He's, he's literally wreaking havoc of the bride of Christ. And, and he is on his way to do damage to the church when he heard from the Lord. And it changed his life. I mean, the trajectory of his life does a complete 180. Why? 
because Peter talked him into it? No, he heard the word of the Lord. That's what you desperately want, is you want people to hear from God. You want them to hear and understand, see and believe the word of God. It is powerful, it is not bound, it will wreck them. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, let's humble ourselves before the Lord. How many today would say, Pastor, please pray for me. I know as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm called to ministry service. I'm called to be about furthering the gospel. That's why God has me in this local church, is to help further the gospel. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Would you help me to be full of faith that the word of God is not bound? Would you help me to understand, to see and understand that the word of God does the work I need to be faithful to know it and to proclaim it. Would you pray for God's blessing in my life as I commit myself to that this morning? Can I see your hands? How many would say, Pastor, pray for me? I'm not even sure that I'm saved. I don't know that I've got Christ in my life. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Okay, yep, yes, sir. Please pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm born again. I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that my sin has been dealt with. Yep, yep, okay. Man, the Bible says, I'm gonna pray for you, but the Bible says today is the day of salvation. God gives us the gospel, we have his word. These things are written that we may know that we have eternal life. And I wanna encourage you, don't just sit there. (laughs) Come, let's get the Bible open. Surrender, commit your life to Christ. Change your life. Father, you see these hands and, and, and you see the few that are saying they don't know that they know you. They don't know that they're saved. And so God, according to your word, your word says today is the day of salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Your word says there's no name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Help people today recognize their need and repentance of sin to call on Christ as Savior and Lord. And then for my brothers and sisters that are committing themselves afresh this morning to to functioning as ministers of the gospel, would you strengthen them to endure hardness as good soldiers? Would you help them to recognize that whenever the world pushes back, that the word is still at work? God, would you help us to be full of faith? Forgive us for doubting your word, its power. Lord, help us to be full of faith, to believe that all we gotta do is get people in that book with us and ministry will happen. You are working, your word is working and we believe that. Lord, help us to live like that. Help us to live like we serve a risen Savior. Help us to, help us to live like we know we're gonna give an account to him at the judgment seat of Christ. And I ask for all of this in Jesus' name, amen.